0: I think I have told the story of a realization that came to me when I went to college. Uh, When I got to college, I learned that my classmates had a course in high school on world history. And I thought, I never had a class in world history, but I realized that the course that we had in high school was called history of warfare, because I went to a high school that was associated with the military and so that school my school considered history of warfare to be the equivalent of world history (laughs) and i guess it's true in some ways that you could say that the whole history of the world or at least human history is a history of warfare but it's a little bit of a slant isn't it to think that that's all there is to human history anyway it comes back comes back to mind because uh because well partly because we're living in an era of warfare, and partly because the readings are about war. In the first reading, it's the war between Absalom and David, his father, David is the father, Absalom is the son. And then in the gospel, of course, the great spiritual warfare between Jesus and the forces of evil. We saw this in yesterday's gospel as well, Jesus casting out an evil spirit and and this, the conflict between evil spirits and Jesus. Now the idea of warfare is fresh in our minds because every day we get news about the war in Israel and Gaza and or the war in Ukraine or other places where war is either raging or uh, I'm about to start. I think what happened this morning, I got this breaking news of three American uh, military personnel who were killed by a drone strike in Jordan and uh, I don't know the story there, but why the Americans are in Jordan and, and who attacked them, I don't know. But again, it's, it, this, this is what we're hearing all the time. Someone's killed, someone is uh, threatened, someone's injured. And in, in Gaza, it's all about how many people have been killed today. So this is the sad story of the human condition, human warfare spiritual warfare, and they're somehow connected. I mean, war is, is, is always somehow evidence that something's gone wrong and that some evil has dominated the, the story. Now, it's, it's the temptation with human warfare is always to try to make it a black and white issue, good guys versus bad guys. And that, that's the initial impression, Yes, that's always the way it is. Russia attacked, invaded Ukraine. That was obviously an evil thing. But once the war is going on, there's always going to be two sides and there's always going to be evil done by both sides. And it's not as black and white as it looked at the beginning. Same with the Hamas attack on Israel. Obviously a terrible thing. Obviously an evil thing. A terrorist attack back in October. Hamas attacking innocent Israelis, in fact capturing some and they still hold them hostage, obviously evil. But then once Israel fights back and there's millions of people who are caught between the Hamas terrorists and the Israeli uh, military force, then you say, well, uh, at what point is this going to stop? And who's the bad guy here? That's the international question. Well, it, it isn't that easy. Not that easy to say who's the bad guy in fact the danger is always the term they use now is demonization if you if you if you demonize the opponent you make him absolutely evil well then the only answer is to wipe out the enemy that justifies every action in the battle and that's not, not that never I've never results in a good thing you can see what's happening in Ukraine it looks like this war is only going to end when when they run out of soldiers and they run out of money and then what will happen pretty much the borders will be kind of where they are and both sides will be depleted thousands and thousands of dead people billions of dollars spent and, and both sides are the losers in the case of Israel and Hamas of course uh, Israel is much more powerful, but the only way they can fight against Hamas is to attack them in the civilian areas, and that, that, that's not an obviously good thing, but how can they not? And so, very complicated. Now, I, I mention this because our idea, our human idea, is that you identify the enemy and then wipe him out, uh, the, the demonization. It's It's not our first reaction to say, let's work out a a path to peace. It takes usually third parties to intervene and say, well, there has to be a better way. But in the case of the spiritual warfare, there is an absolute evil enemy, and that's the Satan, and people, and people, not people. Spirits in his camp are evil. They are dead set against what is good. And so there is a clear distinction between good and evil when it comes to the spiritual battle. And Jesus is clearly the the, the representative of all that is good. But, and this is a a very striking thing that we learn from the Bible, God, even though he's all good, does not absolutely wipe out evil. He does not annihilate evil spirits, Satan and evil spirits. Satan still exists. And God allows him to exist. He doesn't reduce him to non-being. So that's God's way. He doesn't doesn't absolutely wipe out evil spirits, even though they're absolutely set against him. What he does is disarms them, neutralizes them, takes the kingdom away from them, defeats them, but he doesn't reduce them to non-being which he certainly could do, but he doesn't. And then, even more striking, when it comes to the spiritual battle, Jesus' approach to overcoming evil is not to come down with fire from heaven or drones or bombs or whatever. He he takes the side of the victim. He becomes weak with the weak. He enters into the condition of Vulnerability and helplessness. This is what God has done. And He He defeats evil by undercutting it. Even way, even way back. Go back to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It, it looks like that's a case where God said, Hey, there's an evil city, and I'm gonna wipe it out. But that's just the way it is. They're so bad we're gonna wipe them out. That's that that's what the position that. People in war want to want to take. I, I, that's the bad guy. I'm going to wipe him out. But remember, God wanted to save Sodom, and if he could have found at least ten innocent people in Sodom, he would not have wiped it out. Remember, and so he was not intent on destroying the evil city. There, there wasn't anything left to save there once Lot and his family were removed from the city. There was. There was. Everyone was against him. So. Okay, now let's look at today's readings. Uh, uh, Jesus goes to the pagan territory of the Gerasenes. This is not Israeli territory. And he encounters this man possessed by legion. Legion, he says, is his name. There are many of us. Now, scholars typically point to the 2,000 swine that later get possessed by the spirits and say oh, there must have been about 2,000 evil spirits. But other scholars say that every evil spirit is in some ways a, a, a divided personality, a kind of a fractured personality because evil spirits are, first of all, they're against God, but they're also against everyone else. And it's not that evil spirits are united and that Satan has a, 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 a peaceful Army. No, every evil spirit is against Satan too, but he can't overcome him, and he's also against all the other evil spirits. So there's a kind of fragmentation in in the forces of evil, even among themselves. That's why very often, uh, in where evil is is reigning, there's this infighting that goes on all the time. Okay, so legion is the problem here, and uh, and uh, Jesus is clearly going to overcome him and now the the man with the unclean spirit says uh, let us go into the swine don't send us away from the territory and notice jesus gives into that request he doesn't as I said he doesn't destroy he doesn't reduce to nothingness evil he he allows it to have a little space in this case to the swine and then after the swine are drowned, it looks like the evil spirits remain in the territory, even among the townspeople, because they don't want Jesus around. What, what we see here is the absolute domination of good over evil, yes, but also that God in his own a marvelous providence, He uses evil, he uses even his enemies for some good. He 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 is not overcome even when evil remains at work. He uses evil. God is the only one who can do this, right? He can use even evil for the for the good. Okay, when he saves the man possessed. He then sends the man, he doesn't take him as a, one of his disciples, he sends the man out as an evangelist. Go out and tell your family, tell your people all that God has done for you, all that God in his pity has done for you. And, th- and the man does it, because now he's, he, belongs to, he belongs to God, and he goes into the evil territory, into the pagan territory, and he proclaims the good news. When we see David at war, we see a, a, another indication of the, the, the ways of God. God doesn't fight the way we think we should fight, or we, we don't, even the way we think he should fight. He doesn't work that way. So here's David, he's, he's the king. His son Absalom rises up against him. It's a coup attempt, you could say, or, a, or a, an insurrection. And David immediately backs off and says, let's leave so that the city will not be destroyed. Let's leave. And so as he's going with his own soldiers, along comes this man who is uh, from a relative of Saul, Shimei, who is cursing him and throwing stones at him and obviously provoking him. And the obvious answer is, well, I'm going to go cut off his head, right? So one of David's attendants says, let me go cut off his head. That's that, that, This guy's no good. He's, he's obviously an enemy and he should be destroyed. And this is where David, who has a, a, a deep connection to the ways of God, says no. No. Who knows? Maybe this is God's will. Maybe God has sent this man to humiliate me, to, to point out that it's not a black and white issue. It's not that I'm all good and Absalom is all bad. No, Absalom is my son. He's up rising up against me. I, I, I'm not innocent in every way, so I'm going to take this humiliation. I'm going to take this, this penance, and you have to accept it too. Let the guy throw stones at you. Let the guy curse you, and let's let God work it out. So David, he knows he's not perfect. He knows he's not innocent. He's a sinner. He's a very grave sinner. But he places himself in the hands of God. Not in the hands of evil, and not in the, in the, in the position of, of being all good. He humbles himself and says, let God be the one to be in charge of this warfare. And as it happens, we know, maybe we'll get this story later, Uh, yes, Absalom is defeated. David is restored to power. And it's all because God has chosen him to be the king. Well, what do we take from this? Uh, The human warfare is a mess. And evil is at work in our midst and in our own lives. What do we do? We do not take the position that I am right, everyone against me is wrong and I have to wipe them out. We don't take that position because that's not the position God takes. We take the position of dependence on God, of letting God work even, even using evil for the for his purposes. It's a very humble, a very a meek position to take that God is still in charge, but he uses even even the weapons of evil against themselves, and we have to allow him to be in charge. So we take the attitude of, of David, Lord, we say, Lord, your will be done. Lord, work your mysterious purpose through all your people, including me. And and let let your let your will unfold in the complex the battle between good and evil that is in, is in us and in our world and in our own hearts. And let your will be done. Take charge here, Lord, and I will do your will. That's, that's the sure way to victory, because that's the way of Jesus himself.